Welcome to The Sipping Point, where each week we explore the recipe for a delicious life. I'm your host, Lori Forster, the wine coach, and I've made it my mission in life to demystify wine and sometimes spirits one glass at a time. So expect a fresh and fun approach to the world of wine, food, and so much more. If you're a vodka lover, then today's show is for you. As America's most popular spirit, it seems there's a new vodka hitting the market just about every day. And how does this odorless, colorless spirit, how did it conquer the drinking public of the U.S.? Well, Victorino Mattis, author of Vodka, How a Colorless, Odorless, Flavorless Spirit Conquered America, is going to fill us in on all that, Chris. And I can't wait. And in his honor, I'm going to introduce him in a second, we are drinking Moscow Mules. Are uh, these delicious or what? Drank. Mine's gone. <laughs> You're supposed to wait till we do the show. I couldn't. It was too delicious. I'm sorry. All right. Well, Victor, Vic, as I call him, mentioned this was his favorite. And it's got lime juice. It's got vodka and ginger beer. That's all you need. And you love ginger beer, so you sucked it I right do. down. It's perfect. So let's introduce him so we can start really get into it. Uh, Vic Mattis, author of Vodka, the book, is here. And he's a senior editor at the Weekly Standard. Oh. He's been there basically since inception, since 1996. And he writes on a number of subjects, history, politics, those are okay. But more importantly, he writes on food and drink. We love that. And pop culture. He's also been seen in the New York Post, his articles in the Wall Street Journal, Washingtonian Magazine. Wow, wow. this Moscow mule is hitting me hard. <laughs> so what and you're saying is he's smarter than both of us. Totally. Okay, all right. And he's been on CNN, NPR, and the BBC. Got it. Oh, my gosh. Vic, well, I think... Well, now I'm on the sipping point, so that makes it even... <laughs> <laughs> Our IQs are really not looking too good right now, but yours... Is so welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, you have such an impressive background uh, as far as your editing and your writing. So, how did you go from all of that to writing a book on vodka? Well, part of it is that, you know, it's, it, it's kind of a blessing and a curse to be an editor at a magazine or even for a newspaper for that matter. <laughs> because, you know, on the one hand, you know, you, you know, it's a little frustrating because, you know, all I want to do is, you know, really write. And, you know, no one has ever said, wow, that piece was so well edited. You know, nobody, no one ever thinks that. <laughs> they don't, you know, we're always forgotten. But, you know, we're an integral, integral part of, of the process. And uh, on the other hand, uh, being an editor, I don't have a weekly beat. So at every editorial meeting, my boss is ad- always asking me, you know, what are you doing this week? What are you doing? <laughs> so I get to pick and choose. Um, hmm. But it is that you have to, you know, you have to be able to uh, work with a self-imposed deadline. Uh, that's the one thing. Uh, but other than that, it's really uh, what interests you. And I've been there long enough that I sort of had various interests, mil- military history, uh, as you mentioned, and mm-hmm. politics and going over to Germany and things like that. And then I just really got bitten by the food and drink bug. And yeah, I love then, it. Uh, one thing led to another. I did Celebrity Chefs. Um, I did Cook's Illustrated, sort of behind the scenes and how that works up there in Brookline, Massachusetts. Very and then cool. uh, from there, uh, Champagne, uh, where I uh, spent a week in Champagne, and that was really hard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I'm thinking you might have a better job than me. Uh, I don't know about this. Well, you this. know, that was the last time they invited me, unfortunately. I haven't been back. <laughs> uh, but I do remember I had a terrific, like, 88 on Rio, and, uh, and a lot of rosé champagne was just fantastic. Oh, and and but by Wednesday you sort of have the trembles, you know. <laughs> it, it's a little bit much because they start I know you off those early trips in the morning. Well, yes. They make you, you know how it is. They make you pick grapes. And then after that, I said, well, what am I going to do next? And the weirdest thing was, 
uh, started running into a lot of friends and acquaintances who seemed to be dropping things and getting into the vodka business in one way or another. So I had hmm. a friend. I have a friend who works at uh, Diageo, uh, and they own everything, as you know. They own <laughs> they Mirnoff, which is the mm-hmm. largest vodka in the world, really. And I had another friend who decided that he was going to, uh, you know, invest a serious chunk of his change with a friend who was having a startup uh, vodka distillery in New Jersey, which I thought was pretty bold. Mm-hmm. And I said, gee, that's, you know, interesting. And then uh, another friend of mine, he was working at the Austrian embassy. His wife was a teacher at University of Maryland. They just had a newborn. And they decided they were going to quit their jobs, go to Chicago, and open up the first post-prohibition boutique distillery uh, in Chicago. Mm. And so that's when I said, wait a minute, what's going on here? This is kind of crazy. And I contacted my friends at the Distilled Spirits Council, uh, the liquor lobby in Washington, D.C., and they gave me all the numbers. And that's when I realized how crazy this vodka phenomenon is. I love that. And the book, and folks can go to your website, which is vicmatus.com, V-I-C, in the beginning of that, uh, and or amazon.com to check out the book. But I'm holding it right now. It's beautiful. In addition to all the great knowledge, you have these amazing color photos. I love that because it really brings everything alive. So let's start at the beginning. So you started to see that there was something going on here just from your connections and friends. But history of vodka in the U.S. is quite long. So tell us a little bit about how vodka became so entrenched in our drinking history. Well, it sort of came in the right place at the right time. I mean, vodka has always existed, right? It's existed in Europe since maybe, you know, the 14th or the 13th century. You know, uh, Isidore the monk supposedly is the Russian monk who first came up with vodka. He learned it from the Italians, who learned it from the French, who learned it from the Arabs, you know. But in, in America, we don't have a, a vodka uh, background, a vodka heritage, uh, because, that, you know, vodka was only drank in certain very small ethnic enclaves. Mm. Uh, this country was all about brown spirits, right? right. We, loved, we loved rum. I think you talked about this with your show with Ben Lyon. Mm-hmm. You know, long history uh, with colonial rum, especially in New England. And then we switched over to uh, whiskey and bourbon. And vodka made a brief appearance in the 1876 Bicentennial in Philadelphia with Peter Smirnoff. He ran his, uh, uh, entered his bottles into competition. They won. And then uh, Mm. again, later on in the Chicago World's Fair, but uh, really nothing. And then 1934 happened uh, after Prohibition just ended. there was a, for the first vodka distillery was set up in Bethel, Connecticut, not uh, actually far from where I'm calling you from right now in Essex. And uh, that was Smirnoff. Uh, and so the, when Smirnoff came to this country, it was an American vodka. The formula obviously was taken from uh, Peter Smirnoff's family, mm-hmm. uh, but it started here. And it didn't do well at first, uh, but it eventually caught on. And one of the things uh, that I realized with the book is that a lot of people who drink vodka, and this is no, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with this, but a lot of folks who drink vodka don't actually want to taste the booze in their booze, right? Mm-hmm. It's about the mixer. That's exactly right, and there's nothing more mixable than vodka. Uh, there are people, historians, who have written about this, and eyewitnesses at the time that said when the bars opened in 1934, the young crowd that came in was very different than the old crowd. Uh, the old crowd loved their old fancy, you know, um, Jerry Thomas complicated cocktails. And uh, the new crowd just wanted to get drunk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> could see this. And, you know, if you're 18 in 1934, that means when Prohibition happened, you were four years old. So you wow. have no speakeasy experience. You're just drinking now. Right. And, you know, as, as other uh, drink writers have said and historians have said, flavor, or, flavor is an obstacle. 
You know, just to get that out of the way. I don't want to taste the smokiness or the peatiness of scotch. Mm-hmm. No botanicals in my gin. Just, just get me there. And so uh, <laughs> that worked out for vodka. And it's kind of true when you first uh, have your first taste of alcohol. It is just so wow. You know, you really, it's more about like, um, yeah, getting through it. Um, then like savoring it like you might now love wine or whiskey or vodka. It's a it's a different process. You know what, uh, Vic, we're going to take a quick break on the sipping point. We're going to be back with Vic Mattis, author of Vodka, How a Colorless, Odorless, Flavorless Spirit Conquered America. We'll be right back on the sipping point. This is Lori Forster, the wine coach with The Sipping Point. And on the line, we have Vic Mattis. He's author of a book all about vodka. And we're going to give the link on my website, thewinecoach.com, um, to Amazon if you want to buy the book. Or you can go to his website, which is Vic, V-I-C, Mattis, M-A-T-U-S.com. Vic, uh, we're back. And we were just talking a little bit about the history of vodka, how vodka really appeared on the scene here after Prohibition. But what was the turning point? Because you're right, you know, whiskey and rye and those sort of things were much more popular. And then, you know, of course, beer and wine. Where did vodka turn the corner or the tipping point or the sipping point, if you will, to becoming so popular? Well, there were a couple of things, really. The first one I think of is the invention of new, very reliable vodka cocktails. The first one is the Bloody Mary, of course, mm. uh, because you, you really can't. I hope you never try to mix, you know, bourbon and tomato juice. No. Oh. <laughs> Party foul. Yes, exactly. And, and, and vodka just happens to work great, great. And that happened in the 30s. In the 1940s, it was the Moscow Mule. Uh, and we've been talking about that with the ginger beer. Yeah, I've been drinking it. And, and vodka, <laughs> exactly. And it, and it works. And it's and it and it works today. And then by the time you hit the 1950s, you know, Smirnoff was coming out with its, you know, a great motto, which was "leaves you breathless." Mm. You know, and that's of course because you didn't want to have it smell in your breath. Mm-hmm. And so that was <laughs> that was very popular. And then the 1960s, you know, things really picked up. Uh, one of the things culturally, I think, was James Bond or uh, Casino Royale, Ian Fleming. Uh, right. And, of course, in Casino Royale, he doesn't actually drink a vodka martini. He drinks a Vesper. And that's an excellent drink, too. And that has vodka and gin and Kina Lillet. It's really worth looking into. Yes. Uh, but, but suddenly, in 1967, uh, you combine all of these little factors, and vodka became more popular uh, than gin as America's favorite clear spirit. And then by 1976... It overtook uh, bourbon and whiskey for the first time. So uh, considering it only arrived in the country in 1934, I think that was pretty remarkable. And, it is. Yeah. And wow. uh, as a result, I mean, uh, there, were, there, there was a hippie factor where, you know, uh, <laughs> hippies are not going to drink what their dads drink, right? Peace, love, and vodka. Peace, peace, love, and vodka. They're not going to bars and ordering old fashions. You know, that was the, that was the Mad Men set. And, uh, ah. and, then, and then, of course, women uh, with the women's lib movement. You know, they're ordering for themselves now. They don't have this little corner of a menu as bartender. Old bartenders will tell me there was a corner of the menu where you could have ladies' drinks, like the Pink Lady. Right. You know, or Brandy, Alexa- Brandy Alexander, or things that involved egg cream. You know, Slow gin fizz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a lot of egg whites. Lots of egg whites, frothy. No, no one needs to pander like that. And so, right. you know, but they're not going to make the jump, and they haven't quite made the jump yet uh, to bourbon and whiskey. They're getting there. Mm-hmm. But vodka is this perfect sort of middle um, 
area where you can order something that looks classy. You could put a garnish and put an olive in it, and, and it works great. And that really set the, set the stage for the 80s and, and absolute and everything that came after. Yeah, and speaking of that, in the book, what I love is that, you know, after you go through some of this history of, of vodka, you know, coming and then conquering, you really profile some brands that have been very influential in the vodka culture, I guess if we want to call it that, here in the U.S. And absolute... And I remember vividly when these ads first came out, um, I wasn't quite of drinking age, but we used to like cut them out of magazines because they were so beautiful and they were so cool. So tell me how Absolute Vodka, the brand, really changed things about the way vodka was marketed and and really came into our culture. Well, uh, the short answer is before Absolute, people basically ordered vodka tonics, vodka sodas. Uh, and whatnot, vodka martinis. After Absolute, people started ordering their vodka by name, specifically Absolute. They didn't want just any vodka. They didn't want Finlandia, and they didn't want Smirnoff. They wanted Absolute, this product of Sweden. They would say, give me an Absolute martini or an Absolute in tonic. Uh, mm-hmm. and, that has, that, and since then, that has been the way it is with vodka, even today in 2014. Uh, but what Absolute, you know, it's funny, they almost didn't make it in this country. Wow. The big distributors... Uh, all turned them down. Hiram Walker, Brown Foreman, uh, they just didn't like the idea of a vodka coming from Sweden. You know, wow. Russians, Russians make vodka. And plus, <laughs> and plus, the bottle looked lousy. They said it was a medicine bottle. You know, and, it, mm. and bartenders hated it because the, the neck is short. Right. You know, how are you supposed to, you know, pick it up? And you could see through it. It's this clear glass. And, you know, and it's funny because they went through several attempts to change, uh, change the name. Uh, and American advertiser said, you know, we should call it Damn Sweet Vodka. <laughs> <laughs> That's really frightening to think that. Nice. I wouldn't want to call that out at the bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but wow. but uh, so, so that, you know, that happened. But but really, uh, you have to give a ton of credit uh, to the advertising agency that I visited, which is mm-hmm. TBWA on Madison Avenue. And uh, those guys were the ones, uh, two fellows in particular, came up with the idea of a very simple premise for their vodka ad. And remember, you couldn't advertise vodka on television. You right. Know, and, and you just had print. And they decided it would just be the bottle. And they'd be sort of, you know, silly about it. They're not just going to open and say, we're the best. Because if they do that, they say people hear that every day from advertisers. Right. You know, everyone tells you. So maybe they'll say absolute perfection and put a little silly halo on the bottle or something. In mm-hmm. ways. And people like that. And from there, they went to various iterations of absolute clarity and absolute larceny. You name it, they did it. And then from there, they decided, you know what? We don't even need the bottle anymore. Yes. The shape of the bottle. Remember the absolute L.A. ad with the swimming pool and the shape of, you know, the vodka bottle. It's very distinctive. And they even had Andy Warhol. Oh, yeah. As part of this, too, right? So, yeah, I that mean, cost him a small six-figure sum to get ooh, him to do it. Ooh, I love it. Now, um, one of the things that's really big on current day vodka, cause, and a number of other brands in the book, if folks go to Amazon.com and get your book, you talk about the evolution of Sky Vodka and Grey Goose and, and many of other ones that people are probably fans of. But the current thing that's huge right now are the flavored vodkas. <laughs> And uh, it's kind of, I almost feel like gotten out of hand. And so we're uh, going to take a quick break and then I'm going to let you tell me what you think about flavored vodkas and where we're going in the future with vodka. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Vic Mattis on The Sipping Point. 
This is Lori Forrester, the wine coach with The Sipping Point, and we're back with Vic Mattis. He wrote a book. It's a beautiful, hard copy book, Chris. Very nice. Full I color. I love it. Yeah. I know. It's called Vodka, How a Colorless, Odorless, Flavorless Spirit Conquered America. Now, I'm, I'm thinking, Vic, that some vodka companies might be a little upset with you saying it's flavorless. That's that's correct, but you know that is the that is the 1949 definition. Yeah. Okay. Of vodka. That's that's the law. It's flavorless, odorless, colorless. There's a little bit of you know very small parts per million that you can add different additives to make right. it distinctly your own. So you know, in fact, there are differences. Look, I took a blind taste test, not of official flavored vodkas, but of supposedly straight vodka, and mm-hmm. there's tons of differences between the crafts and some of the big players right. and. Uh, some of the value brands. Uh, but once you exceed a certain limit and you're done adding, I think the popular thing people add is things called vanillin and casein and whatnot. Uh, but once you exceed that, then you must have on your label flavored vodka. Ah, and that leads us perfect segue. I went, Before we get to the flavored, I went once to like a high-end vodka tasting. This is a few years <laughs> back. And I just, I couldn't, taste it straight i just don't enjoy it i maybe i need to develop this skill i just wanted some grapefruit juice so i can make a greyhound because that's one of my favorite <laughs> drinks well, of vodka. Drink. i know i love it okay so the flavored vodka as you mentioned that seems to be all the rage i actually went to a, a nielsen uh presentation in new york city earlier this year where they showed a slide of every single different flavor of vodka that exists on the market and it was stuff like bubblegum and tobacco and, I mean... Bubblegum? Is that a bubble bomb? Have you ever had a bubble bomb? I've never had it, but, yeah. you know, sorbet, there's <laughs> a cotton candy. Okay, this is, to me, this all seems like, I don't know, kind of akin to um, the wine coolers of the 80s. I mean, what what do you think about these flavored <laughs> these flavored vodkas? Well, uh, th- this is it, it's kind of a weird thing because... Uh, Derek Brown, who's a great mixologist in, in, in Washington, D.C., he wrote about this once and said that the flavored movement reminds him of sort of a yearning and a nostalgia for a time when we were children. You know? <laughs> so, and, and, and in fact, he echoed the very same sentiments of uh, one of my favorite writers, A.J. Liebling of The New Yorker, and I think he wrote this probably in the 1950s, where he talked about vodka being the drink of people who were ashamed, you know, they, 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 were, they, they, they were thinking of themselves as children. He, he said the same thing, and they were ashamed to let mother know what they were drinking. That's why they drank vodka, you know? <laughs> it was this, this guilt, you know? But, but, but the flavored vodka is, is such an interesting thing. Russians have been, you know, infusing vodkas with flavors for centuries. There's nothing new there. And, and infusing vodka is basically all you do is you take a regular vodka and you have it sit with a giant fruit. You know, and, 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 and you get the flavors, and that's great. Uh, but sometime in the 1980s, Absolute and Stolichnaya uh, started uh, coming out with flavored vodkas. But they were very simple flavors. You know, citron, right. pepar, right? And they were, uh, they were flavors that emulated citrus and, and, and fruits and things like that. Then there was a jump after the vodka boom in the mid to late 90s after Grey Goose in which... Uh, vodka stopped emulating normal flavors of things you want to drink and started becoming flavors of things you want to eat. Right. So you have pumpkin pie and <laughs> peanut butter and jelly 
and, and as you mentioned, bubble gum. Right. Uh, in, in the book, I, I mentioned how, you know, these flavored vodkas reminded me of the, you know, the seven-course chewing gum in Willy Wonka <laughs> at Charlie and the Chocolate yeah. Factory. You know, you can eat everything. There's blueberry pie and people right. open my mouth. And, and, it, and it's getting like that. You know, there's a vodka out of Alaska that's flavored like salmon. Oh, oh, you know, and, and there's there's a vodka, uh, Odka, it's called, and and they make a vodka flavored electricity. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Tastes like burning. I have no right, it's idea. It's a burning flavor. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, and but it'll light uh, your house. Right. Right. And and so I I uh, you know I always wonder how far we, how far is this going to go? And I went up to. Uh, uh, Jim Beam headquarters in Plainfield, Illinois. Uh, aside from Jim Beam, uh, Jim Beam's second best-selling product is Pinnacle Vodka, and mm-hmm. they are famous for the whipped variety. Yep. Right. And uh, at the time, they were big on rainbow sherbet. Mm-hmm. And not long after I left, they teamed up with Cinnabon to come up with Cinnabon-flavored vodka. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> no, this really. is crazy. But, but as, you know, Jason Wilson, who's a great drink writer, too, he said, the thing is, we can be we can be disgusted by some of these things, but but they sell the vodka. The vodka companies are not making it if no one's drinking it. Yeah. I know it's true. And Bi- oh, it's really Jim awesome. Beam has Skinny Girl, too. Oh, yeah. um, and and same thing. I mean, people say all they want, but they must be selling the stuff so <laughs> easily. Uh, all right. Well, Victorino is your official name. Victorino Mattis is his Twitter handle, so you can tweet him as. You know, my listeners have already figured out you are brilliant and fun, which isn't a combination you always see, right, Chris? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's very um, true. So not only can they tweet you politics, they can tweet you about vodka or anything else. And even though we've been talking now for a while, there's so much more that we haven't even scratched the surface in this book. Things like how Hollywood and Vegas have come into play to making vodka yeah. one of the most popular spirits. Dan Aykroyd and other uh, oh, personalities yeah. that have really lent themselves as well. So, um, Plus ethanol plants. You know, that's the really other thing that I learned about this I didn't know about, which is that a majority of vodka, I think 65% of vodkas in America come originally from ethanol plants in the Midwest. Wow. Really? Yeah, you only have to distill it once in your distillery to have it say on the bottle, distilled at your place. Huh. But you can have it distilled five times at the plant in Iowa. Wow. Huh. But See what I mean? With that. People do that all the time. He <laughs> knows so much. And if you want to know and have a fun time reading about vodka, you definitely have to get his book either at Amazon.com or VicMattis.com. Vodka, it's a great book. It's a beautiful gift for anyone who loves vodka. And Vic, you're amazing. You definitely have to come back on the show because we've had a lot of fun. Well, I'd love to come back anytime, guys. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you so much. We're going to be back with The Sipping Point. You're listening to The Sipping Point. This is Lori Forrester, the wine coach. All things vodka, Chris. It's delicious. I love it. I Go could have buy talked some. to him for an hour. It was. <laughs> he was great. Vic Mattis, he wrote the book Vodka. Check it out on Amazon. Um, if you want to get out and wine and dine, a couple of options. You can go to okay. thewinecoach.com. I have an event calendar. And on July 12th, just about a week from now, yeah. I'm doing my Something to Wine About Wine and Comedy show at Bordelow Vineyards in Eden, Maryland. Awesome. You want to come out? A little yeah. comedy, dinner, wine. Going to be fabulous. Mark the calendar for August 8th. We're going to be doing the same thing at the Vandiver Inn in Havre de Grace. Nice. As well as on the 13th of August in New York City. New York City. Exactly. But close to home if you're just looking for some great wine and food. Always. And impeccable service. Absolutely. I suggest the Oregon Grill. I was just there a few weeks ago and had some amazing 
Italian wine and food Love from Italian Chef. Italian wines. Yes. You can call them at 410-771-0505 to make a reservation. It's not just dinner. They've got lunch, Sunday brunch, and so many other things with fresh seafood, prime age steaks, yeah. and more. Easy parking, too. I know. The yeah. city, you got to worry. There, yeah. no beautiful worry. surrounds, outdoor patio, everything you want. Be treated like a king. <laughs> you will. You yeah. will. Next week, of course, we'll be back to explore the recipe for a delicious life, as we always do. Always. We wouldn't have it any other way. I know. If you have ideas for us, send us them or questions to radio at thewinecoach.com. You can also download my free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to thewinecoach.com slash app. You can listen to the show in there as well. Special thanks to Sheehy Lexus of Annapolis, Wine World, Highland Wine and Spirits, and of course, the Oregon Grill.